And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello and welcome everyone once again to another episode of Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host, Mr. Luke Giaconetti, and I am not on my own tonight. I have a guest, and I've got a guest who is very important to Earth Destruction Directive, and you might be wondering uh, how this guest is important to Earth Destruction Directive. Well, if not for my guest tonight, you would not be listening to Earth Destruction Directive on Two True Freaks. In fact, you may not be listening to Earth Destruction Directive at all. Uh, this gentleman was, um, he was one of the architects of the infamous get off your ass and make a podcast podcast which was the direct inspiration to uh, me to get earth destruction directive started and this man was the uh, gentleman who helped get earth destruction directive as part of the two true freaks internet radio network i of course am talking about my good friend and cohort from the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror as well as long play mr chris honeywell hello chris hello how are you doing tonight? I'm really glad to be on this one. <laughs> I'm doing good. I don't know. I don't know how much I like being responsible <laughs> for podcasts. So far, so good. But you know, well, you know, I mean, get off your ass and, and make a podcast directly led to both this and Hey Kids Comics. So that's a pretty good track record, you know. Yeah. Well, you know what they say: if we could, if we only caused one podcast, then it was all worth it. That's what they say, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see uh, how, how you could think anything different. Uh, so uh, tonight we're going to be taking a look at a, uh, a film which as soon as it came up on my schedule to do, I said, oh, I need to get Chris for this because it's probably my favorite monkey movie of all time. And uh, we know, Chris, how much you love your monkey movies. Of course, I'm talking about King Kong versus Godzilla. Oh, man, I, I do love my monkey movies. And this is a – this one – and now I'm trying to think of the name – I. I keep wanting to call it King Kong Escapes, but that was the what? That was the sequel to the Dino De Laurentiis one, wasn't? No, you're right. King Kong Escapes no. is the other. King Kong Escapes is the other Toho King Kong film. King Kong Lives with, is the with sequel Mecha to the, Ga- with Mecha King Kong. With Mechanicong, yes. That one was on TV. I I, I learned about giant monster movies from. Um, I would either be at my friend Todd Riley's house or my grandfather's house because they both had cable. And I would always, you know, walk by a TV at Todd Riley's house, and there would be, it would, it, 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 it maybe it's in my mind, but it was always kind of, uh, you know, unleashing the atomic breath on uh, power cables. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then I caught all of King Kong Escapes at my grandfather's once, and was hooked. You know, I mean, whenever I think of Toho King Kong, I instantly think Dig Kong, Dig, <laughs> Dig. <laughs> I, that scene is like burned into my memory and I only used to catch little bits of King Kong versus Godzilla and finally one time and, and I haven't seen this in its entire never seen, I watched the Japanese version which I've never seen at all I've only seen the American version, I'm, I'm assuming that's the one they played on WPIX when yeah. they 
yeah, the only one that's ever been played it really, on Saturday morning. Yeah, the only version that's ever really been seen in this country is Universal's American version of the film. It was so long ago, I can't even, you know. I mean, the only differences I can imagine are the ones that I just interpolate with my mind, with the with the dubbed English and and all that. I think I enjoy these movies now as an adult even more than I did as a kid. Because <laughs> as a kid, whenever the monster screamed, I you know I could almost and probably did would go off and do something else. Totally not interested in anybody's story, and not that the stories are intriguing or anything. But they hold my interest now and entertain me. Everything about the movies entertains me now. Every every aspect of it. And things that I found really cheesy even as a little kid are now I just completely accept as reality. <laughs> I don't know why that is. It should be just the opposite. Well, you know, I guess uh, you try to sometimes you try to think of the logic of things as a kid and you just, you know, yeah, or I don't know. I don't know. I, I see I see I first saw King Kong versus Godzilla. This was one where um, my dad was my dad's a huge King Kong fan. One of the first films I ever saw was you know uh, Miriam C. Cooper's King Kong, as we talked about many moons ago on our King mm-hmm. Kong episode uh, during back during King Kong month. So my dad was never really big on King Kong vs. Godzilla or King Kong Escapes because I guess he thought it wasn't respectful <laughs> to the King Kong that he loved, right. you know. But um, so for a, I went through a long period of actually not liking this movie at all. And then I, I start. I, uh, as I got older, I started watching it and really starting appreciating it and understanding what was uh, what was going on with it. And uh, I got started to really dig it a lot more. This is one that, to me, I I eventually did get it on the old Good Times bright blue VHS tape. Uh, as I eventually tracked okay. out all the Godzilla films on VHS back in the day. But this is one I remember, besides seeing on Channel Eleven used to be on, do you remember um, back in the late 80s and early, maybe even into the early 90s, Grandpa Munster used to host Super Scary Saturdays on TBS? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And this was one I remember seeing on Super Scary Saturdays with, with Grandpa Munster all the time. And it was always this, like I said, Saturday, usually like Saturday afternoon, you know, I think it was like either 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock, like right around lunchtime. And it was, you know, and, and he'd come in and he'd do his intro and everything. I always remember seeing this on Super Scary Saturdays. <laughs> so that's 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 my, uh, you know, that that that's what I always go to when I think of King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> This Robin Debonair look fool you. <laughs> this is me, Grandpa, and welcome to my screaming room. <laughs> yelling. And this is Super Scary Saturday on the Superstation. Boy, do I have something special for you today. This is the match of the century. Winner take all, loser leaves town, and there's no time limit. King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> Let's check the tail of the tape. As you can see, I mean, the stats are fairly even. You know, Godzilla had the edge and fire breathing. 
but King Kong, he's got something to prove, you know, since his last appearance here in New York, where he was upset and he felt from the top. <laughs> Let's get a reaction from both King Kong and Godzilla's guest manager. Thanks, Grandpa. Let me tell you something, Michael Hayes. My man Godzilla's gonna teach me how to breathe fire, and I'm gonna teach him everything that the Midnight Express can do in the ring. What you got is a King Kong and dying old age. Godzilla's gonna take it, brother. Well, <laughs> the first mistake Godzilla did was get a four-eyed sissy like you to manage him. Oh, oh. Because you understand, the only thing Godzilla does when he gets mad is go to Tokyo and stops our little Japanese people. King Kong has the ability to swap planes, trains, and still hold a woman in his arm. He's gonna walk down Bad Street. What you think, Grandpa? Grandpa. I gotta get to a phone and get a hold of my book. I just always remember seeing them, and and it was great. I watched this one on YouTube, so you know the picture quality wasn't exactly you know high definition, which is as it should be. These were meant to be watched on a drive-in screen, or you know post-drive-in. The ideal was on my grandfather's old big you know. Back in the old, back at back in the seventies, you know, when I would have seen this or early eighties, and my grandfather had an old TV, so it was one of those, you know, all the colors were Technicolor, and the scene with the octopus battle, anything with a mat in it or where something was matted onto something else, always had like a big orange glow around it <laughs> and stuff like that. I love that; it just adds to the whole nostalgia of it. Mm-hmm. And all that was gloriously intact on YouTube when I watched it. It was no Blu-ray version of it yeah 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 uh i i have this on uh, i have the commercial release of universal's american version on dvd and then i also have a bootleg from uh probably about 10 years ago now of the japanese cut on dvd and I'm, i think the one on youtube is the same as the one that the boot is taken from so it's actually a pretty nice print considering that this film um there's not really a really great version of it it's been so deteriorated over the years even toho's uh, copy that they use for festivals is not in the best of shape at this point just just because of you know how the film got cut up and everything else to to make the different versions of it that exist so uh but yeah it's um i i agree with you i mean i i opted to get the dvd and not the blu-ray because you know it's like the the dvd is about the level of definition that i think this movie deserves you know if you get above that the cracks start to show, so to speak. Yeah, the cracks are showing even in the fuzzy version, but yeah, they're a lot more charming fuzzed out than they are clearly seeing the, the strings or whatever, Yeah. which I don't recall seeing any strings. No, the only, no, there's, not, there's not much in this, but uh, but I tell you what, let, let me, uh, let's take a, a quick break. We'll plug in a promo right here, maybe for a Two True Freak show. And then we'll be we'll be right back uh, to talk about King Kong vs Godzilla on Earth Destruction Directive. Yeah, yeah, yeah play it. Come on, yeah, play it loud. Play it loud. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic, foolish emotions, a constant irritant. And ten out three, two. Come on in the circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. True. I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Oh shit! Oh. Three. 
a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. You got damn lucky he didn't kill him. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, Thank let's God. go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Julia, you. I say shut up! It's a man A man Two truefreaks.com Destruction Directive. All right, so uh, as is customary, because I'm assuming a lot of my audience hasn't necessarily seen this film, I've prepared, I've got a little um, synopsis that we're going to run through, and then we can uh, get down to monkey business, as it were. How's that sound, Chris? Ooh. <laughs> King Kong vs. Godzilla was released in Japan on August 11th, 1962, by Toho, of course. Universal Pictures released the American version in the United States 
about a year later, on June 26, 1963. Uh, the film is written by Shinichi Sekizawa. Uh, music is by Akira Ifukube. The special effects, of course, by Eji Tsuburaya. The director, Ishiro Honda. And the producer was Tomoyuki Tanaka. Mr. Taco, head of Pacific Pharmaceuticals, is frustrated and wants something to boost his TV show's ratings. Taco dispatches two of his top men, Sakurai and Kinsaburo, to Faroe Island in the South Pacific to find and capture the supposed monster god, King Kong. Meanwhile, the American submarine Seahawk runs aground into an iceberg, but this is no ordinary iceberg as it is shattered from the inside, revealing Godzilla. The revived monster destroys a submarine in a nearby military base as he begins his trek back to Japan. On Faroe Island, a giant octopus attacks a native village, but King Kong comes down from his mountain lair and drives the octopus off. Kong is then lulled to sleep with a combination of the narcotic juice of a red berry native to Faroe and some awesome native drumming. Sakurai and Kitsuburo tow Kong back to the mainland on a giant wooden raft, but they are soon forced to destroy the raft and free Kong when he awakens, threatening to sink the ship. Godzilla makes landfall in Japan and stomps through Hokkaido, smashing a train as he heads towards Tokyo. Kong also makes landfall, and the two monsters briefly clash, with Kong retreating before Godzilla's atomic breath. A plan is put into place to stop Godzilla, where a deep trench is dug and filled with explosives, but the King of the Monsters shrugs this off. The next plan involves erecting a barricade of high-tension wires containing one million volts of electricity. Amazingly, this stops Godzilla, who is forced to fall back. Kong, on the other hand, has no trouble with the voltage, seemingly feeding off the electricity, as he smashes his way into the center of Tokyo. Kong stomps through the city, derailing a train and picking up Fumiko, Sakurai's sister, as a pretty pretty. He climbs a diet building, but the JSDF uses rockets filled with the red berry juice and some nifty drumming by Sakurai to put Kong to sleep. Fumiko is rescued and Kong is airlifted by balloon to Mount Fuji, where Godzilla has wound up. The two titans clash the next morning, with Godzilla initially battering the big ape around. But a sudden electrical storm revives and empowers Kong, who begins to toss his foe about. The two monsters continue to fight, including leveling a Tommy castle, before tumbling into the sea and causing a massive earthquake. In the end, Kong surfaces and swims away, while Godzilla is nowhere to be seen. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, um, th this is a story that to me is so familiar because I've seen it so many times, but when you really parse it out and think about it, it's a pretty solid, uh, you know, monster romp here. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the first things I noticed about this is, I mean, it's a cheesy monster movie, but it does the King Kong legend and the Godzilla legend as right as it can. It kind of short shrifts Godzilla a little. But, you know, it has all the tropes of, of the King Kong legend, right down to the sort of pharma company ad agency <laughs> twist of, you know, we'll use King Kong for publicity. Yeah, I always, I've always uh, said that. It's like, uh, you know, where do you think Dino De Laurentiis got that from? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Toho well, did it 15 years earlier. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because, well, it was when the scene when he had the girl in his hand, I was just waiting for him to just like 
do the Dino, famous Dino De Laurentiis interview where he's talking about how he wanted the scene where, you know, he's got Dwan in his hand and he just looks at her and then, Womp Eater. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. And I was just like, oh, no, that's right. They give us they they give us a sort of little cliff notes version of New York, even with the like world's shortest Empire State Building yeah. ripoff in the world. Well, the Diet Building is not that tall to begin with, and this Kong is a lot taller on top of that. So it's like, oh, he climbed to the right. top in two steps. <laughs> he just sort of stepped up onto it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but nonetheless, it was very King Kongy. Yes, it was, and and the thing of that a lot of folks may not realize um, is that. King Kong, besides being hugely popular here in the States, when it eventually made its way over to Japan, was really, really popular and really influential. I mean, Eji Tsuburaya credited watching King Kong as what got him interested in doing special effects in the first place. You know, and what led him to, to help create, you know, Godzilla and Ultraman and the Toho pantheon of monsters was came from watching, you know, Willis well, then, O'Brien's work on legend- King Kong. And then there's the legendary... Were there two... King Kong movies that they actually made that were un or unlicensed, yes. of course, but they've been lost. For uh, I, I think because of World War Two, possibly. Yeah, there were there was two. I believe it was two before World War Two, weren't they? Yeah, there, there's at least one. I'm pretty sure there are two kind of unofficial King Kong movies made in Japan that now exist primarily just as anecdote more than anything else. That world, right, that there's like a poster the for one of them or something. There's like a publicity still for one of them or something like that, and that's about it. Yeah. So Kong was, was really, really influential. And, uh, you know, Tsuburaya had wanted to uh, to make Kong, you know, make a series of films starring Kong, and this was supposed to be the beginning. You know, Godzilla had only appeared twice before this, in 54 in the original, and then in uh, Godzilla Raids Again which was 55, which is known up here as Gigantus. So Godzilla was, you know, he wasn't really a star yet. He was still a heavy, which is why Kong fights him. Um, you know, the, the origins of this film are, are very convoluted. The man who's credited with the English version is a man named John Beck. And um, the story goes that Willis O'Brien, you know, basically after having, after his success with Kong, well, he was just, you know, was one struggle after another. He was basically forced to work on Son of Kong against his will. You know, Mighty Joe Young was was really more done by Ray Harryhausen with O'Brien kind of overseeing his work. And then when they did the remake of The Lost World, I think that was Irwin Allen did the remake of The Lost World, he he told him under no circumstances can you use stop motion because it's too expensive. You know, that's Irwin Allen for you. But, um... So the story goes that O'Brien was trying to basically reestablish his uh, claim to ownership of Kong so he developed a story where it was it was originally King Kong versus Frankenstein, and the idea was oh, going to be that Kong was going to fight a giant stitched together monster made by one of the descendants of Baron Frankenstein. And uh, those are this so this producer John Beck got the idea, bought it from O'Brien, and then cut O'Brien completely out. And then tried to get that film made, and when he couldn't get it made, brought it to Toho. They quickly replaced Frankenstein with Godzilla, and here we go. <laughs> That's crazy. All those extra people getting paid. <laughs> yeah, but um, so it, you know, so it's the idea that uh, Kong was was hugely popular in Japan, and you know, th- this is what always. Um, th- this is one that. Like I said, it, it, it's a, you know, Godzilla's still playing the bad guy, and he would play the bad guy one more time 
in the next film, which was uh, Mothra vs. Godzilla, before he would finally make his uh, big face turn uh, in Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. So, uh, But the thing that, that really stands out to me about this film, especially compared to the two before it, right from the start, this is a more light-hearted, fun family movie than especially then Godzilla 54, which was obviously kind of a straight, horrific monster movie. And now we've got this bright, right. powerful, bouncy, family entertaining movie. Well, we haven't gotten to the point yet where there's like main character who's a little kid who identifies with the monster yet, but we're on our way towards that. <laughs> yeah, Toho always, they, I mean, they did that really only only once. Uh, that was more Dai in the Gamera series that did that. They kind of aimed a little bit lower. Um, but, you know, the... Really, the, the the two crucial films that were because Toho made a series of films between Godzilla Raids Again and King Kong vs Godzilla. The two that really are the kind of important ones um, are Rodan and Mothra. And the reason for Rodan is that Rodan, on its surface, is trying to be kind of like Godzilla, but if you watch it, it plays more like like an American kind of giant monster. It plays a lot like them, really, if you watch the original Rodan which is one of the reasons why Rodan holds up so well. But then Mothra wasn't... Mothra was, like I said, a kind of a, a fantasy adventure movie. And, you know, had the, yeah. the, the you know, the, the island, the, the, the South Pacific exotic island, and the natives, and the monster, and, you know, uh, and it was... But it was colorful, and it wasn't threatening or scary, and it made a, you know, made good box office. So that's really the tone that they would now adopt. So... Uh, so, and King Kong vs. Godzilla is kind of the proof of concept of that in a lot of ways, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. So um, let's, let's let's just go through some notes here. One of the things I like right at the beginning in this in the Seahawk, we get some really really stilted English dialogue. Oh my God! Now I was going to ask you about this. This was some of the best English. I, I I got it in my notes. Like this is some awesome English dubbing, but I'm wondering. If it, it, I think it's dubbed, but do you think it was dubbed by phonetic Japanese actors? No, I. I uh, th- you see this every now and again. Those were they're not actors. Those are probably just locals. They might actually be guy be military, and they are they are speaking a phonetic English, and then they may have dubbed over themselves. <laughs> the reason, right, right, no, yeah. but. The, the English accent, the English quote-unquote accent, is is so like exaggerated. You know, they're doing that. You know, I'm getting a Geiger reading, Captain. <laughs> you know, it's that over enunciated. It was awesome, and yeah. one guy's voice sounded more like you know Old Chester from a, a Western movie. <laughs> the captain was great too. Captain was kind of like W. C. Fields. Yeah, <laughs> the, the way. You, well, you know how um, you know in, in in America we'll have characters speak another language and put subtitles on it to sound exotic. The same thing goes in Japan. You know, they they love having characters speak a little bit of English because then it's exotic and international. You know. And I like how the subtitles are down the side of the screen. Yeah, yeah. Well, you think about that's how yeah, that's, uh, that was Japanese kind of neat. Runs, I've never seen that you know? before. Yeah. What What's real great is when you get a film where it's um, where the, uh, the it's like there's a com- there's a subtitle and a commentary track that's also subtitled, and you've got subtitles <laughs> all over the screen. <laughs> the text is just piling up all yeah. over. The thing. Uh, but I do love that sure. that and and that whole sequence actually is is um, I think that's one of the one of the the 
best ones in the film, the whole sequence with the submarine and the uh, the iceberg and the release of Godzilla, because it what it introduces is something that Toho had kind of been avoiding up until this point, which is continuity. Because at the end of Godzilla Raids Again, uh, which, jeez, uh, I covered that a long time ago under Destruction Directive, they freeze Godzilla in a mountain of ice in an iceberg. And sure enough, he busts out of an iceberg to start this film. So this is clearly established as the same Godzilla from 1955, so that we have the beginnings of what of some type of continuity for a series that ultimately doesn't have much. It's a nice little bit to undo, uh, you know, the kind of the, the the nascent beginnings of the idea of Godzilla as a series and not just as uh, you know a one-off monster that managed to come back a couple of times. Well, I thought the effect of him coming out of the the iceberg was one of the best effects in the entire movie. I, you know, I, a lot of it had to do with just the way they filmed it from way up in the air from a helicopter, from a moving helicopter's point of view. But it was one of the more, you know, realistic scenes that looked, it truly looked like it was in the proper scale. You know, it looked like he was humongous. Yeah. It was very nicely done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they get their money's worth out of the effects tank on, on that, <laughs> in that sequence. Which is just, well, just boy, a... they, I mean, this movie is full of effects. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just non-stop with it because you go right from uh, Godzilla escaping and we get the you get to see Godzilla's first ever rampage in color on the military base. Ah. Yeah, I mean this this is the first believe it or not this I didn't is realize the, it's... Yeah, this is the first time not only that Godzilla is in color but the first time King Kong is in color too. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh so you know and and uh, and the Godzilla suit in this film is beloved. I mean this is probably Maybe right up there with maybe uh, I don't know probably Godzilla '89 or or '92 was like the most beloved Godzilla suit of all time. There's I would say you know as an uh, you know just an educated guess there's probably more merchandise that exists for Godzilla '62 than any other Godzilla ever. That's how popular this design with his kind of angular head and flapping his arms out to the side as I'm doing up to the microphone right now for everyone to see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, and, he, and he looks... I love... I just love the animal posturing when when they get ready to fight. All the posturing that they have to do, you know, waving arms and Godzilla flaps them to side to side. Because, really, there's only so much you can do in those suits. Yeah. But they make the best of it, and it's just this... It's, it's ridiculous. If you took different music yeah. and put it over it, it would be the most hilarious thing in the world. But once you get it all in context, it just makes wonderful, fun set. I love all their body language and oh, just yeah. the way they act and react to each other. I love the way after their first fight that King Kong just goes, eh, screw it, <laughs> and turns around and just... Yeah, and, scra- and scratches his head as he's walking off. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just going to head someplace else now. Yeah. I love that. Well, that's the thing is that... Um... Well, we talked earlier. We'd mentioned the Dino De Laurentiis Kong, and with I, I think that at an, up until at that point, what Rick Baker did in that film was the best, you know, ape suit acting we had ever seen. Until, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking probably until Gorillas in the Mist, you know, which is kind of in a different context than what came, what we're talking about here. That's not being a a fantasy film, being more of a of a realistic depiction. Uh, but given that, given the, the quality of the, of the suit work that Baker did and the quality of the suit that he had, 
I would take, I would always put the character, the personality and the characterization that comes through from the suit acting in this film right up there. Just because, like you were saying, these are these are they're limited in what they could do. The Kong suit in this movie is atrocious. I don't think anybody's going to argue that point. It's it doesn't look much like an ape, let alone King Kong. And the Godzilla suit. That's is, what I always wondered as a as a kid. Is if it, uh, when when I was a kid, I always just figured that they were sort of like anthropomorphizing a Japanese face onto Kong or something. <laughs> And it just didn't work. It, it it just was. He had a weird, like almost platypusy build yeah. going for his mouth. But man, the guy in that suit, he has to really rock around in that. He gets tossed around, and you know he ain't messing around. No, and it's uh, it's Shoichi Hirose plays King Kong, and uh, Haru Nakajima is is Godzilla, and the two of them. Um, you know, basically choreographed their own with with um, Eji Tsuburaya choreographed the fight. The two, of, the three of them got together and planned and planned. And one of the things that once one of the things that once you know it in your head will forever influence how you watch this film is that they purposely set out to emulate Japanese pro wrestling. Oh uh, yeah. Oh well, sure. Yeah. So the way that they fight is like a wrestling match. And one of the notes that I made that I did again didn't even think of that the last time I watched it. The first time that Kong and Godzilla um, encounter each other, we see them, quote-unquote, entering from opposite sides as they're walking towards each other, you know? Not mm-hmm. not breaking the axis of action. Well, in Japanese pro wrestling, a lot of times your heel will enter from one side and your face will enter from the other side, which is exactly what Kong and Godzilla do. <laughs> The, yeah. And that's that's how it should be. Too bad they didn't have like the you know the the ring made up of electrical wires, you know, and bouncing each other <laughs> off electrical wires. Oh, and like stuff. like the like the make uh, what is it, King of Monsters? You ever play that arcade game? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that has a Kong analog and a Godzilla analog in it. But so it uh, is possible. Yes, totally. But the. Uh, Yo, but I mean, once once you know that, you know that they, you know, like Kong uses a judo throw on Godzilla at one point. Godzilla legs, you know, uses his tail to sweep Kong's legs out from under him. You know, the the way that they're grappling and everything. And but just just again, just the um, but just the suit acting in general, especially from Hirose as as Kong when he's when he's walking through Tokyo and he just kind of looks at the big building and just punches it for no reason. <laughs> just because it's, it's there. He's like, what is this? I don't like it. Or the uh, you basically know, when... King Kong doesn't like things that are big like him. Yeah. <laughs> Godzilla doesn't either. No, <laughs> but Godzilla, you know, he's uh, they they make a point in the American version, and I should say the American version, the main changes to it, um, is that they they cut out all of the stuff involving the relationships of the characters, you know, all the character development and okay. stuff. And what they shoot the instead? The brother and sister and the boyfriend. Yeah, they they leave a little bit of a little bit of the, the comedy beats with the brother and sister and boyfriend, like the hey, how come his steak is bigger than mine, you know? But uh, right, <laughs> which is which is pretty it's pretty impressive that they're eating eating steak in Japan in 1962. That's that's a high dollar cut of meat that they got right there, considering. But but what they add I in? I think it was probably just showing how good they were doing at the ad agency. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, doing so good they get sent to an island to find a monster. But uh, well, to me that's doing pretty good. I don't know if 
If you can you can fund an expedition to a South Seas island to capture a giant gorilla. Want to go to a South Seas island to capture a giant gorilla? Yeah, my yeah. life would be complete if I was on that. <laughs> I wouldn't feel demoted at all. I'd be signing up for that. Especially they and they're handing out cigarettes too. So that's right. <laughs> Just in case you forgot this was the 60s, I guess. (laughs) I'd like to ask about those natives, too. Sort of speaking like a Jar Jar Pigeon English. Sometimes sometimes I could almost hear, like, you know, like it was almost English what they were saying. Yes. You know, it almost went along with the English translation along the bottom. Yeah, yeah. The the chief goes, you go way here, long way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which must have been just complete gibberish to Japanese, you know, Japanese people. Just right. sort of like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's just funny that like English becomes native talk in a in a Japanese movie. Yeah, I love it. Well, the, and and that that see that to me that had to be an intentional joke because of how much Beck and several other Americans were in, in the involved in the production of this because a lot of times. Right. When we would go, like in Mothra, when we go to Infant Island, um, the islanders don't speak gibberish. They actually speak a a, uh, a a South Seas kind of islander dialect, like an actual language that would still sound exotic to to the Japanese ear, much the same way that you know um, we we might get some, a Native American character speaking uh, Sioux or speaking a Native American language in a Western, you know. So right, it's, right. it's exotic and it's but it but it's legitimate. Here they're just they're you know <laughs> they sound like they're on F troop basically. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but it's but it's it's but you know then they hand the uh, you know the you said uh, earlier that it kind of has the Kong mythos light and uh, so I mean yes. the the portrayal of the natives here makes the portrayal of the natives in the Miriam C Cooper film look nuanced and subtle. But you know, it it's like it's a National Geographic <laughs> documentary. Yeah. But, but you know, it, it's once not... again, God, King Kong is a real god, man. And like I said in you know the original King Kong, or it was se- either that one or seventy six, one of them. You know, there's there's no King Kong atheists on King Kong, on Skull Island because there he is. Wow, yeah. beats one of their you know one of their virgins every once in a while. Yeah. You, you, it's hard not to believe in him. Yeah. But on this Skull Island. Hey, you know, if if a if a if a giant octopus attacks a village, he comes to your rescue. You know, right. he he's a real he's 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 actually like reciprocating with the natives and and justifying the occasional virgin or pot of berry juice. Yes, the I uh... like how he had the berry juice and he sort of did the you know over the teeth and pass the gum. Look out, <laughs> stomach! Here it comes just before he drank. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty, it's pretty good, you know. They they got a good relationship. He he defends the island from other monsters. They produce him drugs and play him music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hippie dream. Yeah. King Kong's really just like this hippie slacker dude. He's an ex-roadie, you know. He just lives on the island. And... Well, he's a, I mean, he's, he's certainly hairy, and who knows the last time he showered? You know, probably when they when they blew the raft exactly. up and they fell into the exactly. Pacific Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but he, but again, his his acting uh, there, it, both on the island when he's fighting the octopus and the octopus, I love Oadaku the octopus because yes. you know it's it's not often that you can make a realistic, you know, daikaiju movie using an actual animal, but they did a great job 
with using several... That usually, when they use real animals, like when they use lizards for some dinosaur movies back in the day... Yeah, like like 1 million BC. It always looks terrible. Yes. But, yeah, but, but this octopus, maybe it's just because an octopus is so creepy and alien-looking to begin with, but they really pulled it off, and, and a lot of the optical printing they did it came out really good. The first scene where the natives are, are, are throwing spears and torches octopus are pretty nice you know that yeah. it almost looks like they're really really tossing them yeah, and the, the sound design works really well, well for it too yeah, the sound is wonderful all the gasping and slurping sounds and everything and the the only well, part they, he makes like these angry exhalations and they do it when you see like his lung on the side open up and close so it's mm-hmm. really creepy oh yeah and what's um the, the only thing that kind of mars that scene the, that scene for me is when they do the the rear projection where they're throwing the spears and torches you can see the shadow of some of them on the uh, it gets really bad in some parts where you can see the big shadow of the spear because it's just a rear projection shot but a again, wall they're throwing it at yeah, yeah. You, but again you know you, you do what you can with the money you have but for so uh, I mean the the effect of the giant octopus was um, Henry uh, Saperstein one of the producers of the American version loved, loved the giant octopus to the point that when uh, they were preparing the American version, or when they were preparing uh, uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World, he said, hey, can you put a giant octopus in this movie? And so they shot an alternate scene, which was supposed to be the ending of the American version, where Frankenstein, after beating Baragon, is attacked and dragged into the water by a giant octopus. And it, it ended up not getting used in the film. So when Toho was preparing um, the sequel to Frankenstein Conquers the World, which is more the Gargantuas, they put the giant octopus in, knowing, uh-huh. hey, that guy in America loves giant octopuses. Let's put another giant octopus in this. And so they get the giant uh-huh. octopus. <laughs> and Saperstein uh-huh. released both those films. Like, I love giant oh, octopus. Sure, he was just like, yeah. <laughs> I've forgiven many a crappy movie, but as soon as a dog has spoken something, I'm like, oh, push it right over into the good side. <laughs> and of course, the the anecdote that I love the about the giant octopi is that um, the they use four live octopi in the filming. Three of them were released. The fourth became Eji Subaraya's dinner. It became dinner. It became dinner. So he used. <laughs> He, he shot all day. He's like, hey, I'm going to be a movie star. And it's like, yep, and now you're getting cooked. <laughs> you're f- and you're fresh meat. Too, yeah. yeah. So you, they can't say no animals were harmed in the filming of this. <laughs> well, not in the filming, but yeah, kind of in, in the, the craft services area, yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of, of real animals, let's just get this straight for this for this movie. King Kong is a real animal. Godzilla is a monster born yes. of radiation. Mm-hmm. We must make that distinction. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's one way that um, it's it's something that you always kind of run into, kind of again in the early days of Daikaiju. How do you determine if you have two monsters fighting? How is one of them a hero? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Why can't they both be a, a, a pain in the ass to yeah. your country? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and, and so they, and, and in in uh, Godzilla raids again, they, that's exactly kind of what they are. It said that you know both Godzilla and Anguirus are terrible, terrible monsters. Godzilla is just slightly worse. Whereas here, again, they they want to make Kong the big, 
you know, uh, big time barrel chested hero. They got to make a point that he, you know, he's ju- just oh, a yeah. natural creature. He's not something born of that of evil radiation. Well, when they knock him out, you know, a chance they could have just they could have just you know pumped some gas into his veins or sawed his head off or you know stuck a pole through his brain or whatever, and that would have taken care of King Kong. He was out like a light. No, instead, <laughs> we're gonna rig him up to balloons <laughs> and drag him and drop him on Godzilla. Yeah, that is so awesome. <laughs> I can think of that's no what, better. Like, it's like it's like two little little evil kids who've captured a, a mouse and a snake, and they're just like, okay, <laughs> let's put them in the fish tank, and we'll drop the mouse on the snake and see what happens. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, it it, it makes. But it's... just that that's the obvious that's the obvious solution to their problem is let's rig him up with balloons. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's funny is that there are two Toho Kong films. In both films, he gets airlifted in rather disgraceful manner because it, you may remember in King yeah, Kong like escapes. Like... They lift him up with helicopters. <laughs> he looks like drunk dad who passed out on the bar <laughs> lounger, and they're like, you <laughs> lift him up to take him to bed or something. Yeah. It's. It, it just it just cracks me up every time I see it. Just sort of, I want to see a scene so bad of somebody just like in their house, you know, brushing their teeth, and they look out the window and see King Kong just sort of float by in that seated position. Yeah. Or as a realistic movie, he would have like the, the the way they had him, there would be a giant pair of King Kong balls yeah. just sort of hanging down. <laughs> Brushing the tops of buildings and churches and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, this, this one thing I like about this film and that what always I think plays well on TV is that it it really is just a series of set pieces. So you go mm-hmm. from from set piece to set piece, so you can fit. You know, if you're watching it with commercials or something, you get to an end of a scene. It's like, okay, that scene is over. Now we're cutting to another part of the country with a different monster. I can go grab a sandwich during my, my yeah. commercial break and be back here. But that I think that really helps it because you know whether it's you know, uh, uh, um, and it's, it's an intentional in there. It it really does kind of build up our anticipation because we get this build up of. You know, Godzilla breaking out and Godzilla making landfall, and then you know we get all the stuff with Kong on the island, which uh, to me, I, I just really, really enjoy that. It's just a, again, just a kind of King Kong light version of the the first half of uh, of um, you know Miriam C. Cooper's King Kong, and then we're uh, well, from there we you know uh, and we get the great all the great scenes of the you know Kong. I love Kong's roar being the the sound of the thunder. Oh, I always love that. Well, well, uh, that scene where on the island where there, you see all the mountains and the lightning and you, and you hear the roar, it totally reminds me of another scene that used to scare the shit out of me when I was a little kid, which was from the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer oh, the Christmas special. Where, where the Bumble, where the Bumble makes his first appearance. I don't think you even see him at first. I think you just see a bunch of mountains with lightning around him and you hear roar and he's yeah. talking about the abominable snowman. He might peek his head around a corner or something, but I was half expecting Kong to sort of like peek around the corner like the, the <laughs> well, rest what, what's interesting cartoon. Is, but it was it was a really creepy shot. It was great. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that when they're when they're actually hiking up the mountain, and uh, after they shoot the lizard that he's spinning around his head, you know, like like he's throwing the hammer. 
Um, uh-huh. In the in the Japanese version, when we hear Kong's roar and the lightning, if if you if you really watch it, when they do the quick pan up of the mountain as the rock as the rock slide begins, there's Kong is there. You you don't see his face. You just kind of see him kind of behind the mountain a little bit. That scene is trimmed out of the U.S. I version. Watch that again. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a blink and you'll miss it kind of shot. You know, I mean, maybe maybe I don't know. 10, 12 frames, maybe. I mean, it's it's really quick. So that in that in the U.S. version, that scene is com- that 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 little sh- bit of that scene is cut. So we the first time we see Kong is when he comes bounding down the, the you know to knock the gates down to go fight the octopus. But like, like I said, I just think the scenes on the island are are well put together as as an homage to the original Kong. It was clear that Subaraya and Honda, you know, really you know admired Kong and wanted to make their own version of him. You know, it it, it uh, kind of rubs me the wrong way when you get, uh, you know, on on um, on Comics Monthly Monday last month, you and uh, Mike and uh, Scott were talking about Marvel Star Wars, and how you right. know it's it's this lazy way that the hipster douchebags kind of look at it and kind of laugh it off because they yes. don't they don't understand the context yep. in which it was made. I think you get kind of the same thing here. You get people that maybe they saw King Kong versus Godzilla when they were a little kid and they just remember. Now they look at the picture and Kong looks ridiculous. And it's like, oh, they're just making fun of King Kong. This is stupid. And it's like, no, that's that's really, like I said, that that is so far from what the actual, you know, reality of the film is that to even take the time to write that is just lazy, you know? Right, right. And well, it's, uh, it's it's based on probably looking at a few pictures and watching a few clips on YouTube and yeah. getting your story and get your five dollars that day. Yeah, right. Whereas, you know, and, and again, you had said you hadn't seen, you had never seen this all the way through. This is, you know, watching this in the context of this is 1962, the only Kong that exists, you know, is Kong and Son of Kong, and to a, to a degree, if you want to go there, Mighty Joe Young. And th- this is a, you know, this is a color, big screen, widescreen version of the Kong mythos, admittedly trimmed down with Godzilla in it, but still, a, a, you know, an, an homage paying, paying tribute to you know the the first of the <laughs> the the eighth wonder of the world as opposed to the king, king of the monsters so there was a nice moment that reminded me of course it's before war of the gargantuas but yeah. king kong was doing a nice little gargantua run at some point you know jog yep. through the city at some point and that always cracks me up uh, i love seeing that yeah it's it's kind of a trait of all of the quote-unquote smart monsters from the toho pantheon which are all the <laughs> right sim- well they're 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 all the simians so it's it's king kong uh, Frankenstein, Sanda, and Gyra. You know, so so or, or the Gargantuas, if if you don't know the the Japanese uh, names for them, they all run like that. I think uh, specifically to show that they are that they're humanoid, and that they can think. Right. You know, Kong does that in the fight. He hides. He plays possum. He tricks Godzilla a couple of times, which I think is is great. They they even directly call this out in the American version. One of the insert shots. That is uh, shot with uh, your UN reporter Eric Carter, and uh, he's got his you know his uh, um, you know associates across the globe, and the doctor with the children's book of dinosaurs, who's the scientist supposedly. You know he makes a point uh-huh. of saying that Godzilla's brain is the size of this pea, <laughs> and King Kong is a thinking animal, and his brain is many times larger than this ape skull, which which that always I'm always reminded of that when I watch Orca. 
and we see the you know the the marine biologist shows that killer whales have bigger brains than humans. It's like I, I don't think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a marine biologist. It but depends. There's a, big, there's, there's a big difference between bigger brain and bigger proportional brain, <laughs> you know. So uh, what that means. But I mean, Orca pretty much that that the the he won in that movie. What more proof do you want, Luke? Yeah. Well, I mean, Orca. I mean, as my friend Adam once said, this whale should be commanding armies. I was on a Facebook group called the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, which is a group from a, a podcast. And many people there were saying kind things about Orca. I was very impressed. Oh, I'm a, another know, another one that people just dismiss as a piece of crap movie. Yeah. Well, you you know me. You know I'm an Orca fan, uh, and Scott Gardner knows that too because I you know uh, I, I infamously derailed the Logan's Run thread to talk about Orca. <laughs> but <laughs> I hope he's still not upset about that. And if he is, I'm sorry, Scott. It. <laughs> If he's holding the grudge over that this long, then he then then he's a lucky man that he doesn't have bigger problems or bigger fish to fry. But I mean, just from to me, uh, even the um, like I said, I, I watched both the Japanese version and the American version. I'm, I'm much more familiar with the American version, obviously, because that was the one I had I had watched time and time again from when I was a kid. And for a long time, like I said, the insert shots really really bugged the hell out of me. A lot more, obviously, than the very well-done inserts from Godzilla King of the Monsters. Because they, they, they basically are explaining the story to you. You know, this just happened. Yeah. But the problem is is that sometimes they tell you things that they have no possible way of knowing. At one point <laughs> they go, uh, they, they talk about the electrical barricade, and they say, well, it, it, it may stop Godzilla, but King Kong draws his strength from electricity. And it's like, the, we don't... Yes. We, how do you know that? King Kong is this new discovery, yeah. I mean, I didn't, after watching other King Kong movies, that, that, that was one of the things that I'm not sure about is trying to trying to give King Kong some new powers. Although I understand why it would be necessary in this context, because, you know, what's King Kong going to do about, you know, Godzilla's fiery breath, you know? But whatever, he gets electricity, now he can fry him with his hands. Yeah. Which, as a kid, I was just like, no, King Kong can't do that, but... You know what? Apparently it can. <laughs> well, the thing that that, all, that that makes that work for me is that it's thematic because on Faroe Island, you know, his the their, you know, the the thunder and lightning is what is Kong's mm-hmm. symbol and his roar sounds like thunder. So it would make sense that he would have be given power from lightning. So that at least makes some sort of sense. You know? Yeah, and it's not like he—it's not like he's you know he's shooting lightning out of his fingertips or anything. I mean, when he grabs them, they've got the great little optical of the the electricity flowing from him, you know, just kind of powers him up to to grab and mm-hmm. toss Godzilla around. So I, that that um I I can I can hang with that because again it it, it makes him um a little more uh, you know we we can buy that he's the, now the underdog, and yes. then he's gets gets his big power up in the last reel to go fight the monster. But what's what's amusing is that the 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 next Kong film that Toho wanted to make was going to be called Operation Robinson Crusoe, King Kong versus Ibera, Ibera being the giant uh, shrimp. Uh, that was the film that would go on to become uh, Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. When they couldn't use King Kong, they just put Godzilla in. Well, that film has at one point Godzilla getting struck by lightning and being revived, clearly a leftover from what they wanted to do with King Kong. Mm-hmm. So the idea of Kong being powered by lightning was something that Toho really liked. 
I really like it now. I didn't like it as a kid, but yeah. I like it now. When I was cheering at that <laughs> part, at that by that point. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I was rooting for for Kong, but I gotta say, in the end, I think Godzilla won by points. <laughs> you can see Godzilla swimming away. Whatever. He could swim underwater. I think. I think it was. You know, since there was no. You know, knock. There were knockdowns, but yeah. Yeah. I, I think Godzilla won it. Well, yeah, and you know what's funny is that, that that does provide kind of an interesting segue into the most what most people think they know about this movie that is 100% wrong. And that's, of course, the urban legend about there being two endings to this movie. Two endings, yeah. And, I mean, I remember as a kid, everybody knew that. Oh, yeah, Godzilla wins in the Japanese version. And it's, it, 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 it's completely bald-faced wrong... And um, supposedly, I was doing some research, supposedly this uh, rumor, or this legend, Forrest J. Ackerman is apparently responsible for it in the pages of Famous Monsters of Filmland. Oh, wow. So as much as I love Forrest J. Ackerman, I gotta, you know, tiss tiss Mr. Ackerman at that one. Yeah, what's up with that? Well, like I said, uh, you know, it's um, being in the, in the 60s and 70s when these movies were, yeah. if you weren't in Japan or a Japanese speaker... You didn't see the Japanese versions. All you saw was the, you know, the the localized versions of the film. So it's understandable that, you know, uh, that and there this, was no Wikipedia or IMDb. Right. You know, I mean, like like you again, like you guys were saying on Comics Monthly Monday. What did we do before we had the internet to look this crap up? I think that said more about how we think as Americans that we accepted that urban legend. Yeah. Because it's like. Hell, that do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that's, and, what the, that's what they would do. Yeah. So the thought was that you know the that the Japanese wouldn't allow an American icon like King Kong to be the quote unquote Japanese icon in Godzilla. What of course everyone forgets again is that this is not you know 1974 where Godzilla was the superhero monster battling you know aliens and invaders and. Uh, you know, uh, robot duplicates of himself and all that. This was 1962. Godzilla's still a villain. So, of course, he would lose, because bad guys tend to lose in uh, Japanese fantasy films like this. You know, it, it's just kind of the way it is. The hero monster wins. So, um, and, and what's funny is that there is a kind of a very, very kind of trivial thing that some people also point to. At the very end of the film, um, after Kong Godzilla roll off of uh, Mount Fuji into the into the sea, and the earthquake and all that, and we see Kong swimming away. As the end is shown on screen, we hear Godzilla's roar and then King Kong's roar. And what um, Honda said was that he intended this to be like the monsters taking a curtain call, a bow for the audience after the show. And in the U.S. version, they cut out Godzilla's roar, so it's just King Kong's roar that you hear. So some people have taken this to mean, like, oh, yeah, see, that's clearly why that Godzilla won, because he roared. It's like, really? <laughs> this is the this uh, is the evidence that you're basing this on? You're reaching. Yeah. <laughs> reaching. Yeah. Now, what, uh, the other interesting thing about the uh, American version is besides the insert shots, they do use a little bit of stock footage. The first set, and it all comes from the most part the movie The Mysterians. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I'm familiar with the band Question Mark in the Mysterians. I was going to say, not, not Question Mark in the Mysterians. But the, the, um, the Mysterians was an alien invasion movie that Toho made uh, a couple of years before this. Um, it's probably best known to Daikaiju fans as the uh, origin of the giant robot Mogura, 
who would go, uh, he would, he's a big mole-looking robot that digs through the ground, and he would get brought back in the Hayside. Oh, yeah. Well, um, the, the, there's a scene in the Mysterians that involves a space station, a big rotating orbital space station, and that is used as a stand-in for the UN satellite as they're bouncing their news feeds all over the world. So we see the shot of the satellite a couple of times uh, at the beginning of the film. Then at the end of the film, when Kong and Godzilla roll into the water and cause the earthquake, the Japanese one, it's very kind of minor. It's not a really very impressive earthquake at all. Uh, there's some waves that splash up. You know, there's some rocks that tumble down. There's a tree that falls over. Um, well, back in <laughs> that's, it's really, it's really a very minor little earthquake. Yeah. Uh, so um, Beck and his crew decided that that was not a good way to end it. So they took a lot of this the, in the Mysterians. The Mysterians use a device that can cause earthquakes, and uh, including having Mogura dig underneath, uh, you know, villages and having them collapse. So they cut in about 20 more seconds of, you know, massive, uh, you know, villages collapsing, whole, you know, sides of mountains caving in, giant floods, just all sorts of massive destruction that comes from them having their fight underwater. <laughs> And uh, I, I think that's an improvement, quite frankly. I mean, I, yeah. I frown at the use of the stock footage, but you know, as a giant monster fan, if you you if you're not cool with stock footage, you won't last long in this industry, kid. But uh... Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's certain you can use footage well or, or poorly in that situation. It, that sounds like the exact way you'd want to use that stock footage. Yeah, you know, so that that to me kind of makes up a little bit for the the, the insert shots, which are kind of you know, I mean, they're, they're, again, as a kid watching it they you know that's probably a bit more interesting because it cuts out the character beats and you know um uh, fumiko going to hokkaido I and mean, we still see fumiko going to hokkaido but we see the follow-up of them being reunited and she yelling at her boyfriend and then collapsing in his arms like as a kid we're like boring <laughs> talk more about the don't monsters care. yeah <laughs> exactly I, I i don't care <laughs> you know and unfortunately like i said the uh the Japanese version is, is not available in this country except on a bootleg, but you can get the American version, a very nice either DVD or Blu-ray. Although I've, I've heard that the Blu-ray actually has kind of a, a, call, a brightness level issue. Uh, that and uh, The review I read, I think it was on TohoKingdom.com, said that the, the overall brightness is set kind of low on the Blu-ray, so it looks a little, a little murky. Whereas my DVD of it that I have, which is from Universal, just looks, you know, looks bright and colorful great. and really great, yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that um, we can't get the Japanese version here in the U.S. legally because um, Universal is just not interested in releasing it for whatever reason, you know. Even though they, they probably could sell quite a lot of it, um, you know, Sony has shown that the Godzilla market can support releases that contain both the Japanese and the U.S. versions of films. All of Sony's classic media releases, for the most part, have done that. But Universal is just not interested in it. So it's the same. So we don't have uh, a Japanese version of either King, uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla or King Kong Escapes. Uh, have you done King Kong Escapes yet? Yes, I did. I, I did King Kong Escapes um, back during uh, King Kong Month. Have you done War of the Gargantuas yet? We have not done War of the Gargantuas. Well, I was just going to say, if you do War of the Gargantuas, you need to uh, definitely get a hold of me and Scott Garner. <laughs> I have had more... You know what, what's funny? We both love that movie. What's funny is I've, I have had more people request to guest star on War of the Gargantuas 
than literally any other movie that I've talked about covering. <laughs> that's how that's how beloved War of the Gargantuas is. <laughs> we used to, I mean, that was the only giant monster you could get Scott to watch, and yeah. we were actively always looking for it, and just just for the scenes of them running through the city, yeah, just tearing it up, and for the words get stuck in my throat. One of my favorite songs of all time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's classic. Well, do you? Uh, well, you did you? Uh, I don't know if you've seen this. This is. Uh, um, but War of the Gargantuas was one of the ones that Sony Classic Media actually put out on DVD. They put it out on a double feature with Rodan. Oh. And it's got both the American and Japanese versions of both films on it. You can probably get it on Amazon for about five bucks. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's Holy a, cow. Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty sharp. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd, uh, I mean, I'd recommend any listener go to 2TrueFreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link. And uh, you can pick up King Kong vs. Godzilla... Um, King Kong Escapes, War of the Gargantuas, any of your uh, your Toho releases, and just uh, you know pick them up through Amazon because there's a a wealth of them available, and most of them at real good prices. Because that's the thing about these Godzilla films, and one of the reasons why you do see some competition for the different outfits that release them on DVD and Blu-ray is that you know they're they're never going to be you know, top-selling Blu-ray disc of the year or anything like that. Right. But they're right, right. But they're what we call evergreen releases. There's always mm-hmm. going to be a market for somebody either upgrading their VHSs or a dad or mom who liked this stuff when they were a kid buying it for their kids or a kid who discovers it and it's like, oh, I'd really like to get all these, you know. So they're, they're, they're an evergreen release. So having them out there in these really, uh, you know, not not necessarily budget, but but moderately priced releases, is it you know that's the way to go because now you're you're just helping get them out there. It doesn't do, yeah. If you put out like the Criterion Gojira, is really nice. It's really expensive, you know. <laughs> Whereas right, right. the one that Sony Classics put out, which has both the Japanese and U.S. versions, you can get that for about you know ten twelve bucks, and it's pretty. I mean, for you know, except for the the high end. Uh, video files that is everything you need in one package you know but it's you know but it's that that makes it all the more I guess a disappointing that Universal's just not interested in releasing the Japanese versions of these films which you know for a long time it was just assumed that Universal didn't have the rights to do that but um, in the uh, basically in the build up to um, the release of uh, Godzilla 2014 uh, you know that's when Universal released King Kong vs. Godzilla and King Kong Escapes on Blu-ray and that led to some more, you know, research being done by kind of the online community and folks that work in the industry and stuff that evidently, and, th- and, and this was the first time I had heard this, but it got kind of some corroboration and got some, I, some legs, was that... Just getting to the question that I was just about getting to ask you. Yeah. Why, why they haven't done it? I was just going to, well, I was, I was just on the tip of my tongue. I was going to say, now, do you think there's ever a possibility... That we could have another, seeing as how, you know, they, even the Peter Jackson King Kong was, was really successful. Oh, yeah. That there could ever be another King Kong versus Godzilla. I mean, not in the same continuity as the, but, you know, seeing as how there's a different, but could it? I, I would love to see that. I, I, you know, and that's the thing. As soon as Skull Island was announced as being over at Legendary Pictures, that began all the speculation. Uh, over the summer, uh-huh. when when uh, when Skull uh-huh. Island and Godzilla 2 were announced, it's like they're both at Legendary. Now the question also gets raised: Is okay? Well, Kong 
right now, Legendary Pictures has it, but who is releasing Skull Island? Is it, It's got to be Universal, whereas right. it's... Um, who released Godzilla 2014? It was Paramount, wasn't it? Is it Paramount or Sony? So they'd still have to overcome that, even though they're still... Both are licensed to uh, Legendary Pictures at this point. Right, right. Yeah, that that was my thought too. As first as that is it, because I've always said, um, you know, any time a a, a a a you know a oh, excuse me, it was Warner Brothers released Godzilla in 2014, not not Paramount. Any time that a list would come up, oh, what films actually deserve to be remade? Top of my list is always King Kong vs. Godzilla, because I look at because even when I even when I was younger, I'd look at what we were able to do with Kong in Kong 76, and then what they were able to do with Godzilla through the Heisei and Millennium films. It's like, if they could do, you know, that level, like if Toho now could build an ape suit better than the one that Baker used in 76, and they could stage this film in such a way. Oh my god, they way, could, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and in fact, we almost got that in 1992, or excuse me, was going to be in 1992, Toa wanted to do, uh, wanted to remake this movie. They wanted to, re- it was going to be called Godzilla vs. King Kong this time out. And so they approached Turner, who at the time had bought RKO and was in, in, is in control of the Kong character. And basically Turner wanted more money just for the license than Toho had allotted for the entire film. Uh. So they said, okay, we can't do that. What we'll do is we'll do Mechanicon instead, because we own Mechanicon. And uh, Turner basically said, if you make a film with Mechanicong, you're, we're going to sue you because Mechanicong is too close to King Kong. So that's why that, that we never got our Heisei, our 90s version of King Kong vs. Godzilla. But, oh, I know. I mean, the, I, mean I remember uh, that was announced, I think, on Saturday at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. And then that Sunday, I, I called my dad and I asked if he had seen the news about Skull Island. And he said he had. He goes, and he asked me the exact same question. You think they can do King Kong vs. Godzilla again now? <laughs> I'd be so happy to be sitting in a movie theater for that one. And I and I yeah, and I agree. It, you don't do it in the continuity of those films. Just do it as a one-off, just like this, and make it you know the, mm-hmm. the big action adventure romp. You know, and uh, I mean, who, I mean, Jesus Christ, you want to talk about a summer popcorn movie right there? But the special effects we could do now, oh my God. <laughs> and and I would still want it to be a soup movie. Oh yeah, totally. You know, a soup movie. Yeah, do a little. Do a little CGI maybe to clean up some stuff around the edges and, you know, you know, take out something here and there, add something here and there. But generally, yeah, got two guys in suits and it, magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally – hell, you – I mean, frankly, with a few tweaks, you could do the exact same story. Yeah. I, and it wouldn't – because yeah. that's one thing about this story, being involved with, you know, um, quote-unquote modern – the modern world, you know, an advertising agency and all that – you could you could totally use the same story. You could even set it in 1962 if you really wanted to. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that worked for the X Men, right? Yeah. So. Well, you could you could do that, or but but by the same token, if you don't want to go all Mad Men on it, you could set it in present day and still have the same story of an advertising agency and you know a big you know big pharma trying to you know go get a big monster. Like, like you said, it worked in Kong 76. Now, now, now I'm just stuck thinking about that. <laughs> we might have to write some angry letters. To... Well, I, I can't, I can't complain too much because Legendary, like I said, they, they are not only are, uh, did Godzilla 2014, they are doing Godzilla 2. They're waiting for Gareth Edwards to come back to direct until he's done with his 
uh, Star Wars obligations. So I applaud that right there. You know, they're bringing back the same screenwriter, and for all from the little that I we've, applaud that last sentence. Yeah, no, I mean the whole thing. They, they're in general. Yeah, well, I mean they. they I you're think talking that, about there's a director right now. He's like, I can't make the next Godzilla right now because he's busy making a Star Wars movie. <laughs> what, what a great sentence that is. Yeah. It's, it's you know uh, it's you know we, we talk about how we're we're living in the the golden age of uh, like nerd cinema with all the comic book movies and everything genre movies genre, oh yeah but yeah I'd say it's not just the comic movies it's the genre movies I mean what are the movies we're talking about for 2015 we're talking about you know Avengers two Ant Man Jurassic World Star Wars it's like <laughs> I mean there's nothing Mad else is cracking Max it Phantasm I, yeah, the new Mad Max the new Phantasm it's like oh my god. <laughs> The nerds are taking over. And there's stuff I'm not even thinking about. And we're, I'm not even taking in the DC films because I'm a cynic on Zack Snyder. But who knows? It could be, you know, if if the Super vs. Batman or Batman, whatever it is, if yeah. that turns out to be a great movie, that's even more icing. There, there's yeah. just so much potential yep. for cool shit to be happening this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, that. See that's one thing that I, I will say, and I... Uh, and th- this is going to sound cynical, but I really don't mean it that way. One of the things that I really liked about the response that Godzilla 2014 got was that Godzilla's one of those characters that he's kind of like Batman. Everybody's got the minimum Godzilla appreciation index. Everybody likes Godzilla on some level. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, I've never met anyone that actually says, man, I hate Godzilla. You know? <laughs> Even if you're not really a fan, people like Godzilla. People think Godzilla's a cool character. Well, girls... Yeah, well, girls don't count. Everybody knows that. But <laughs> there are no girls in Daikaiju movies, except for, you know, we're plucky reporters who get in trouble. <laughs> or, or alien invaders who all look alike. Yeah. That's like black people in Star Wars. It's just not done. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so one of the things that came out of the release of Godzilla 2014 was this general goodwill that even people who were, like, you know, lukewarm on the movie were just happy that there was a new Godzilla. There was none of this stuff like we get with the Marvel and DC hating back and forth, you know? And then uh, Right, right. Yeah, none of that, because everybody, everybody likes Godzilla, you know? Everybody's gunning for him, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Everybody's cool with Godzilla. That's, uh, that's the moral I, of the know, story. You know, I think Blue Oyster Cult had a lot to do with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's a perfect example, you know? It's a good, it's, uh, I used to love when they'd use that, when TNT would do their Monster Vision marathons. In the 90s, when they do their Godzilla ones, they had a remix of Blue Oyster Cult's Godzilla that they would play intercut with uh, sound effects and dialogue from the movies. It was great. I only wish they'd... Um, and another... Th- uh, that just reminded me, one thing I didn't get to mention on this movie was the soundtrack. It's great. Oh, yes, it's, yes. It's fantastic. And anyone who's listened to the outro of this show will be familiar with the main theme of the film, which is the native song that they sing to King Kong, because that's the music on the outro of this song. This, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and one of the few pieces of music that survived the translation from the Japanese version to the U.S. version. The U.S. version replaces almost all of Ifakube's music with uh, universal uh, movie stock, mon- stock music, including uh, mostly the score to Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, <laughs> which is cool in its own right, but it's not as cool as Ifakube's uh, soundtrack. No, that soundtrack is majestic. Mm-hmm. And there was a movie not too long ago called Holy Motors. 
that was kind of an art film, but it had this one sequence in it that used the Godzilla music to just amazing as as the soundtrack to the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've watched that movie repeatedly, especially that sequence of that movie. So whenever I hear that, you know, the, the that theme coming through now, it just gets me all wound up. Yeah. And there's plenty of parts in this movie where they just crank it up. I love it. Well, what, what's interesting also is besides Godzilla's uh, theme, Kong's theme would go on to be not only reused in King Kong Escapes, but would be um, modified in, uh, and reused or as one of King Ghidorah's themes throughout the, uh, the, the, the series. So there, there, a lot of the music that Ifakube introduces here gets reused or borrowed, the, the, you know, the melody or the Liat motif or whatever, gets borrowed and reused. So this is kind of laying the groundwork for what will become almost the, uh, you know, the standard library of Toho monster music. And it really is a, a great soundtrack. If you can find the, uh, as I say, if you can find the import, the perfect collection uh, import CD, I'd heartily recommend that. You can find that on eBay sometimes, or if you can find a good um, CD importer. Uh, that I, that came out. I'd love not... to find. I wonder if they ever put this stuff out on vinyl. It sounds so good on. You know, I I, I know that um, Toe did put some music out on vinyl, but I don't think it ever. I don't think it ever really was had any penetration here in the states. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. They probably did, but you probably have to pay like $500 to get a copy of it these days on eBay or something stupid like that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, good, uh, good genre sound music, like on vinyl, it seems to be a hot property. Yeah, yeah. And then add an import on top of that, you know? Yeah. Well, another piece that I absolutely love, and uh, it's the music that I use in the, the promo for this show, is uh, the, the cut is called Engineering Kong's Move. It's the music that they play as they're um, as they're tying Kong up with the with the wire and hooking all the balloons up and everything. I love that piece of music so much. It's and, that's I always think of that as the Gulliver's Travels part of the, the yeah. movie. <laughs> the little yeah yeah that music is even like the little people at little people at work music sort yeah. of you know. <laughs> It's got that hi ho hi ho ness to it. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, but yeah, if if Akube's stuff is is great, and the uh, to the point that um, in the uh, in the the end credits of Godzilla vs. Destoroyah, when they when they killed Godzilla off, one of the themes that is revisited is the island theme from King Kong vs. Godzilla. That's how how highly it's thought of as one of just the classics. Even taking out of context, it's pretty catchy. Yeah, I, I know I was. Um, uh, what was I doing? I, oh, I was—I was—I don't know if I was watching this or if I was just—I um, was editing something together on the computer or something, and I had that playing. And my wife started bobbing her head along to it, you know. And she's no giant monster fan, but even she could dig the uh, the, uh, the 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 Faroe Island natives. Chanting. Some things are universal, man. <laughs> like giant apes fighting giant lizards. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So any uh, any. Parting thoughts on King Kong versus Godzilla, Chris? Yeah, it's um, I'm going to go out and find King Kong Escapes now to watch it because just sort of hopped up for it after mm. watching this. Yeah, it's it improved with age. Yeah. As a kid, I always loved watching Godzilla movies because how can you not? It's a giant monster destroying a lot of stuff. But I was also growing up with Star Wars and Close Encounters and you know, the special effects renaissance. Right. So I was kind of dismissive of older movies 
as being cheesy or having, you know, poor childlike special effects. Now that doesn't bother me one bit. As a matter of fact, it kind of adds to it in a, in a lot. Whereas when I was a kid, I was waiting for the action to happen, and then I was enthralled. Now I'm I'm enthralled all the way through. I love just how they put these things together. The amount, you know, and and always thinking of them. Oh, it's cheesy, low budget movies. And then I start looking at them and go, there's a lot of work put into this. Mm-hmm. When you see those house models get crushed, they built, they basically built little houses. So, yeah. so when you see the roof come up, you can see the understructure of the roof under it, and you know, so it looks realistic. Yeah. Boy, they're just, they're just amazing. You know, all you have to do is engage your imagination <laughs> a little bit to sort of fuzz out the, the wires and and don't quite look realistic. And there you go. It's, yeah. it's all ready to, ready to play out. Oh yeah, this is again. I I agree with you completely. This is one I think that's improved with age. You know, I, I was uh, just tur- I would I didn't I wasn't as turned on to it when I was younger, but now now that I'm older, the more I watch it, the more charmed I am by it. It's just mm-hmm. a ton of fun from start to finish. Godzilla looks fantastic. Kong looks suitably ridiculous. You know, but but you he looks ridiculous, but you cheer for him anyway because he's just so yeah. uh, engaging. And uh, great, great soundtrack. Just a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm so glad I got a chance to watch this basically twice in two weeks, watching mm-hmm. the Japanese and then the American version. So I, I, I totally recommend it. Like I said, uh, go to tutrufreaks.com, click on that Amazon link, and, and pick it up because I think if you're listening to Earth Destruction Directive, if you don't already own King Kong vs Godzilla, you owe it to yourself to get a copy of it. That's how. Uh, now that that's how not only much a classic of the genre it is, but just how downright fun it is to yeah. watch. So, yeah, why deprive yourself of that? Yeah, why? <laughs> yes, why? We ask you. Uh, well, Chris, I want I want to thank you for coming on. Um, I would say to go ahead and, and plug the shows you're on, but um, you know we're on Two True Freaks Network, so all your shows are right here. So. You want to listen exactly. to exactly? Uh, you're, you're here already. You're here already. I <laughs> know. Uh, Comics Monthly Monday, Star Trek Monthly Monday, Growing Up Star Wars, Long Play, Garage Sale Gloat, um, Who True Freaks. We hear you on all sorts of stuff. So uh, <laughs> and about 84 other. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and more uh, on the way too. Oh yeah, there's always more waiting in the wings. Yep. Yep. Um, I do. Like I said, I want to thank you again for coming on. Like I said, uh, I've always, um, you know. I've I've always uh, you know been appreciative of that you know you giving me the opportunity to bring Earth Destruction Directive here onto the network and I think the show's been uh, just grown leaps and bounds because of being on the network so I'll always appreciate that. In addition to you know um, uh, you know does everything you guys do for me behind the scenes that uh, you know helps keep the show running as quote unquote smoothly <laughs> as it does here. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, you know it's, it's almost it's, as if we plan this stuff sometimes you know but uh, no. yeah sometimes. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for thinking of me when the monkey moves come out. Oh yeah, well like That's you know we we may have to do a special official revisit of King Kong versus Godzilla and and or excuse me a revisit of King Kong Escapes. King Kong Escapes. Yeah, and uh, get some more Dig Kong Dig action going. Dig. Oh my god, <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I put the sound clip in that episode specifically for you, Tim. <laughs> dig, Kong! Dig! Oh, man. But uh, we may have to revisit that at a later date. Maybe do a commentary or something on that one. <laughs> oh. Ooh. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, people, I've, I've gotten a couple of emails saying, hey, when are you going to do a commentary? And I'm always hesitant because I'm afraid that, you know, 
listening to my voice for an hour is bad enough. Listening to me talk over a movie for an hour and a half might just push the people over the edge. You know, it's like, uh, it's that <laughs> damn Earth Destruction Directive podcast, officer. That's why I done it. But, uh... <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I see, I don't have as much of a, I don't, there's not as much of a taboo with me as pushing people over the edge, you know, <laughs> at this point. Gotten past, way past that. Once we, once we hit reading the phone book, you, you know, yeah. it was sort of like, you know, when they make people who are scared to fly and ride a plane, you know, and <laughs> get over it. Yeah, we just read the phone book. Oh man, again. I'm I'm reminded of now we um, never have to fear it again. Yeah, I'm reminded of the of a Far Side comic, where, uh, what is it? It's like Doctor Feldstein's uh, theory for curing fears of snakes falling and darkness all at once comes under serious criticism, and he's put a guy <laughs> in an elevator and you see the snakes biting him and he throws the box throws it out the window. <laughs> oh man. But, oh, there's somebody who retired who's sitting out of a pile of money oh, right yeah, now. Oh, yeah, Gary Larson, yeah. Well, we are not a Far Side podcast, as interesting as that would be, but uh, I do want to, um, uh, again, thank you, Chris, for coming on. I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Um, ironically, uh, next time on Earth Destruction Directive, I'm going to be talking about, I didn't even think about this when I put the schedule together, um, I'm going to be talking about a movie that you saw some of in this movie. If you watch the American version, because the coming next time is going to be, we're taking a look at the Mysterians. So uh, another one that this without the question without the question mark, just the Mysterians. So this is, I think, it's question mark went solo for a while. Uh, this one's a little going to be a little bit harder. I don't know if it's on YouTube, but I do know that the uh, Tokyo Shock DVD is out of print, and I looked at it earlier today on Amazon. I think you can buy a new copy for like $89. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so if you really want a copy of The Mysterians, you know, please feel free, but uh, um, yeah, that that one is out of print currently, so uh, it's going to be a little bit harder. Uh, and then we're also, I've also got the next issue of Shogun Warriors, which I think should be Shogun Warriors number 16, uh, as we're continuing the, you know, the we're kind of in the uh, home stretch of that series, which has been a lot of fun with, uh, you know, uh, Doug Mensch and Herb Trimpey doing giant robots in Marvel Comics in the late 70s. You, you gotta love it, you know. I had a bunch of those comics. Yeah, they're, 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 they they hold up surprisingly well, I guess, because they're so earnest about the subject matter. And having... Because the last one I did was number 15, which was a fill-in. And it, was, it wasn't that it was bad, but there had been such a consistent voice with Doug Mensch and Herb Trimpey on the book that once you get a different writer and artist, it, it it's really kind of, it's just like, whoa, this is, this is wrong. This work. Yeah. The, those two had such a consistent artistic vision together. And again, we're talking about a licensed book about giant robot toys, but they had a consistent vision that made the book really, has made a book really, really fun. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they, they close things down in the last uh, couple of issues of that series. So, but that is for next time. Uh, this is still this time. So again, thank Chris, thank you very much for coming on. And, thank you for having me. Oh, uh, no problem. You're, you're always welcome here on Earth Destruction Directive. Just call first is all I ask so that everybody's wearing <laughs> pants. And, and on, on a Demonza Core podcast, that's an important thing. So That is an important thing. <laughs> yes, that is definitely a fact, something you have to factor in. <laughs> all right. So thanks a lot for coming on, and thank you, everybody, for listening. And until, until next time, keep them stomping.
This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Dai Kaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find the show on iTunes. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave an iTunes review if you want. You can get in touch with the show on Facebook. Just search for Earth Destruction as the first name and Directive as the last name. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter with the handle LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Any items you buy during your session on Amazon.com will help keep the lights on, and it won't cost you anything extra. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.